Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey gang, this podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. At this point, most of you have probably heard me mention Skull Brew Coffee Company. It is a business that my wife and I had started to give back more to conservation. So every time we make a sale, a coffee sale, we donate back 10% of the profits of that sale toward a to a nonprofit conservation organization. And right now, in celebration of Earth Day, you can use the promo code Earth Day and receive a buy one, get one 30% off. So you buy one bag of coffee at the regular price. The second bag that you pick up is 30% off. So head over to skullbrewcoffee.com and check it out. Hello and welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 117. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Wilson McSwain, and we're covering a simple question with a complex answer. So stay tuned. What is happening out there, friends? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well, trudging through the work week, one day closer to the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. I think someone wrote a song. Speaking of kind of weird, obscure, not maybe obscure, but 80s songs, I went on a huge 80s music kick this past weekend where I listened to pretty much an entire evening of Hollow Notes. And anyone out there is judging, I just ask you to go turn on some Hollow Notes one evening. And just let it let it soothe your soul. Let it wash over you. This might have had a little bit to do with, I guess, I celebrated a birthday. So first, I, let me back up for a second. Let me say thank you to all of you out there who who took the time to wish me a, a happy birthday uh, over the course of the past uh, week or so. Um, definitely appreciate you guys taking the time to 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 do that, even as I turn one year older and and turn the. I guess turn the corner toward advanced age. Um, you guys make it just a little bit easier to, to tolerate, but 
I might have an explanation for the for the Hall and Oates kind of um, fiasco, if you will. So celebrating my birthday, uh, my wife and I, you know, of course, celebrated over the weekend because it, it fell during the during the week. And uh, one of the things that I actually got her for Christmas this year was a, a session in a float tank. So I don't know if you know. I'm sure many of you out there listening listen to Joe Rogan, and I kind of got turned on to the idea by him. And what's this, for those of you that don't know what a de- uh, a float tank is is essentially a a sensory deprivation tank. So you're basically in a pool of water that's about ten inches deep, and it is filled with somewhere between 800-ish to 1,000-ish pounds of salt, of Epsom salts. Um, and it's the, the water temperature is pretty much the same as your, as your body temperature because the idea is that you lay in it, you float, and you turn off all the lights and all the sound. And, the, of course, all the salt content makes your, your, your body float. And because the water is the same temperature as your, as your body, you kind of lose the feeling or the sense, the sensation of where your body kind of ends and the water begins. And the idea is that you're supposed to be able to kind of be in there and have complete sensory deprivation and it allows your mind to kind of clear. And if you are able to do it correctly and you get into what is called a theta state and which is kind of like a meditative state where you're conscious, you're not sleeping per se, um, but you're also, your mind is just completely shut off because it doesn't have any of its normal you know, checks and balances to run. Like it's not saying, Oh, I need to make sure I'm balanced here. Or what's this light flashing over here? Or what's that slight noise that I heard? There's absolutely nothing going on for you to hear, see or sense. So, um, it's really kind of a surreal feeling. So we went and did that that day on, I guess, Saturday. And when we came back home, you know, we had some dinner then we ended up going out to eat and we went and stopped at a winery. And so whenever I came home, you know, I was maybe all vibed out from the, uh, from the sensory deprivation tank and decided that Holland Oats couldn't be messed with on that Saturday night. So we listened to nothing but Holland Oats for the rest of the night. And then it turned into Rick Astley and then it turned into, you know, whatever other random eighties, eighties music that I found on, on Sirius while I was sitting outside. So that is my uh, story about the, de- uh, the deprivation tank and my obsession with Holland Oats. Um, and then I'll, I'm sure I will, we'll dive a little bit more into the deprivation tank stuff at some point whenever John and I get back together and have a, have a chance to check. Cause it was super cool. And I definitely recommend anyone out there, uh, that has been thinking about trying it to definitely try it, Cause it was pretty rad. I'm definitely going to be a repeat customer at this place. Cause it's just a, a really cool sensation and a nice way to kind of relax. Um, uh, but with that, we are turning our tide toward Turkey season here. This, uh, Saturday is the, uh, opener here for Pennsylvania. So I'm looking forward to getting out, uh, chasing some birds hopefully with some success this year, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath on it, but we're going to give it hell anyway. And with Turkey seasons upon us, it kind of only felt right that I had my good buddy Wilson back on as he is the, basically in my circle of friends, you know, maybe not John withstanding because John tends to kill birds pretty, pretty frequently. And I guess a few other of my other buddies that, you know, live out uh, in the Ohio, one of them in uh, Iowa, my buddy Taylor and, in Indy, uh, in Indiana, he he definitely kills some birds. But my Pennsylvania buddy, who is the is the main turkey slayer that I know, is Wilson. So I figured it'd be a good time to have him on. But we didn't talk necessarily all about turkey hunting, you know, during the the this conversation. You know, I, I think I've alluded to you know in prior podcasts that I wanted to start making 
you know, not a huge shift, but I want to start tackling some some topics and some conversations that that start to you know be a little bit more geared toward lifestyle, and definitely still continue to do the tactical conversations uh, around hunting and strategy and all that stuff because those that's those are just things that I love. Uh, but definitely want to start to um, you know talk to people about topics that might have a little bit more more weight to them. And because it is kind of a trial for me in in, in doing that, because it's a little bit of a a new approach to a degree. I mean, same format, you know, it's not like the podcast is changing wholesale, but it, um, you know, having a friend on like Wilson, who I'm pretty, you know, close with and good buddies with is always easier to kind of, you know, test the waters with these types of things with someone that you're familiar with. Cause you kind of, you, you, you kind of expect, or you kind of know what to expect in terms of their reaction to certain questions and stuff like that. And so, um, that, you know, he and I just have a lot of respect for each other. So the conversations are always good. So, that's a long way of saying, you know, we're going to start to talk a little bit more about hunting as a culture. Um, and so we definitely dive in into that. Um, we also talk a little bit about, um, you know, why he hunts. I think that that is a, a question that is, um, when it's asked, it seems like a really simple question. But whenever you start to actually answer it, the answer is just extremely nuanced. And this is something that I've been thinking about for, you know, I don't know, probably the better part of you know, two years, maybe going on three years. Um, and at different points, I think I have what my answer is, right. And what I kind of realize is that the answers, you know, is, is one thing today and then it can evolve in two weeks from now, um, which is completely fine. Um, but it's a really kind of hard thing to nail down. And because you always, no matter, no matter how many times I've had this conversation and I've tried to answer it, um, you know, not on the podcast necessarily, but, Every time I leave the conversation, I'm always like, ah, oh, man, you know, I really forgot to make this point or, oh, man, I forgot to make this point or I should have said this a little bit differently. You know, it's it's really hard, you know, for a question that seems so simple, but I think to everyone out there listening is is so important to each of us. We always want to do it the, you know, uh, the justice it deserves. Um, and so what I wanted to start to do was, you know, with with certain folks, I wanted to start tackling this question with them, um, you know, because... I think it's just something that we should ponder ourselves. And I've kind of challenged myself to ponder it. And as I was kind of doing that, I was always just kind of curious what other people's thoughts would be, you know, related to that question. So Wilson and I kind of dive into that as well uh, today, which was a super cool conversation. Always like having Wilson on. He's a good buddy of mine. Uh, And without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get right to it and get Wilson on. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we're doing a little impromptu podcast with my buddy you know him the man the myth the legend the man with the mustache it's mustache season wilson <laughs> it's always mustache mustache season mustache is a weird word mustache mustache it's one of my favorite words though so is it one of your favorite yeah. words yeah are you gonna get the twist for turkey season uh no just that um kind of wider just like people don't know if you're trying to do something with your mustache or you just broke your razor or just continue with your homeless sheet kind yeah. Of vibe. yeah yeah i lost my broom at home so i just use my face just to <laughs> you need the walrus for that like the big push broom style yeah that'd be pretty nice when i was rocking the full beard for a while i was thinking of doing the twist but the wife was totally uh ixnaying ixnaying that she wasn't feeling it where'd my where'd my coffee go it's over yonder over yonder i'm gonna walk over here and get my coffee so if you can't tell, I'm with my buddy Wilson McSwain. You guys heard from him in uh, December. Uh, we got on the podcast here and we talked a little bit about deer hunting, 
glass full, half full of water, I think I, we even mentioned. I don't even remember where yeah. that came from. I don't. Optimism versus pessimism versus realism. Versus realism. Yeah. yeah. I live in a world of reality, so mine is usually yeah. half empty. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm working on the optimism uh, piece of it. But today, Wilson and I got together uh, to go have just a. We haven't had a chance to hang out in a little while, so we rendezvoused at a coffee shop, had a little coffee, and mm. I just happened to have my podcast stuff with me in the truck. And I was like, hey, you know what? We should probably just roll and do a podcast since we haven't had a chance to catch up in a while. And there's a couple interesting topics that I think we want to want to kind of cover. Um, we're going to talk a little turkey hunting, I think. Ooh. So why don't we start there, man? Because I know you're you're all about the birds. Yeah, I almost, really... I sometimes think you might actually be more about the birds than than the whitetails. Oh, it's tough because I don't necessarily think about turkey hunting during deer season, right? But I think about a lot of other things. But when turkey season happens, I don't think about anything else. Like I'm not looking for sheds. I'm not scouting for deer it's just turkeys for the gobble yeah and um yeah and i i think i've told you before i have more fun now watching people get to shoot birds that have never shot a bird before or experience a turkey close and hear the sounds that you don't get to hear unless you're close to birds right then i do actually shooting one myself um, unless you're with me then we just don't see birds then we just don't see birds <laughs> but this would be the year Hopefully we said it last year, but yeah, we say it every year. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It's, 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 a uh, our, 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 our mode of action or how it works out when you and I hunt is that we'll both independently be seeing animals, critters, whatever we're hunting. Right. And maybe I get a shot. Maybe I don't, whatever the case is. Um, and then we'll be like, Hey, you know what? Late season for deer season. We'll be like, let's go hunt. I got this. I got this place. Yep, There's loaded. does there every, every evening, you know, let's fill some doe tags here at the end of the year. And then without fail, we go and we hunt together and we literally see zero animals. Yep. Zero. And it's happened to us two years in a row for turkey season, mm-hmm. too, I think. Yep. Last year with Trevor, we took him out, so mm-hmm. zero turkeys. And then literally the next day, you started your your, your mayhem. Yeah, your I took a buddy. He killed his first spring bird. I think the next day, that then following weekend, I killed a bird. And then, you know, just the list goes on. And then but. you were in a couple states, too. Yep. I went to New York last year. Killed with, a bird? Yeah, well, my buddy killed a bird, which was awesome. He'd never killed a turkey before. So, again, first time turkey hunter, killed a bird. And then I kind of did an impromptu trip to Minnesota to see a buddy and realize that there was some a small piece of public like a couple miles away. So I actually got a tag first. I had two days left. I got a tag. Went to, I think it was about 15 acres, just a basically a field. Mm. And you had to use steel shot because it was close to the water. So okay. it was like a waterfowl conservation area. So you had to use right. steel shot. So I actually had to buy a new choke. I don't know. It was weird. Anyways, get on there. Bird gobbles. They start working towards my decoy. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a shot rings out. I'm getting ready to shoot this bird. And a shot rings out and the bird dies. Well, I guess after I had got there, some guy and his son parked at a different lot, walked back through the woods and set up in between me and the private. And I called this bird right past him. Oh, geez. They had no camo, no decoys, just standing behind a tree and a shotgun. I don't know. I don't even know if they had licenses, to be honest. (laughs) But this kid was like the best day ever, and they thought they were surrounded by birds. They're like, we knew there was one in the field to our and left. That was and your calling? 
Yeah, well, and then I had a decoy, and I'm glad they didn't shoot that, the decoy. Right. And so <laughs> I ended up going the next day, which was the last day, um, and killed one of the biggest, best birds of my life, double beard, coolest color, super super old beard, or uh, old bird, which was fun. Right. Yeah, that was awesome. And then I came back and killed another PA bird, which was sweet. Yeah. Yeah, man, you kill a lot of turkeys. Like, I'm the world's worst turkey hunter, admittedly. <laughs> You're probably one of the best turkey hunters I know, like, it, as far as, like, you seem to always be able to get on birds and, and kill birds. What, uh, I know we were talking about the opener around here, which it's the, is it April 27th? Is that the opener? Yeah. The 27th? Okay. That's what I was thinking. Because I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to, if I'm going to hunt around here for birds or if I'm going to head to, back to one of the farms, because I know where they roost on the farm. They're at the same spot every year yeah. or whatever, whether or not you can get one to work to you or not. Off, I've tried to hunt them coming off the roost because they oftentimes like to land in this one field off mm-hmm. the roost, and I'll set up a blind and hunt there. But whenever I do that, they end up flying over the field and going down in the hollow behind it, and then they'll work their way up toward this other like other ag field. Okay. And that's what happened two years ago when I was there, and then my buddy that was over on that side ended up killing, and I just I saw zero birds. Yeah. So then the other year, the last, not last year, well, I guess that was three years ago that that happened. Then two years ago when I was there, I sat on the other side and I had a bird working into that other field and then a rainstorm came through, blew everything out. And that was pretty much game over, over after that. So I'm thinking of going back there, but I did just do some scouting and we can talk about that. I was doing a little deer scouting and it's an area actually of public that is supported by the NWTF. So they help fund that. It's like, like is that a people. gang or? No, I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> And yeah. just NWTF. I, whenever I hear that, I'm like, whoa. Well, it's actually an offshoot of NWA, the, the rap group <laughs> from, like the, from the Oh, 90s. I'm not familiar with yeah. them. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's not pull those lyrics up. Yeah. Uh, uh, but which is really cool because, they, because they've helped fund some of that. Like the habitat is really, really good. And uh, they uh, they actually have some food plots in there and, yeah. and, and some corn. And like they've, it's just really brushy and nasty. So is it close to the road? Like is it really easy to access? It is pretty easy to okay. access. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's a, there's of course like a tractor path or like a yep. road for, you know, some equipment to get back in there and stuff like that, which it actually is on like the edge of the property, which makes it nice even for deer hunting. Cause I was scouting it for deer hunting. And when I saw that sign, I was like, Oh, I bet they have some pretty decent habitat in here for birds then. And so I was like, yeah. maybe I try my luck here. Saw some good deer sign. And that road is just really kind of convenient because it's at the edge of the property. You're not walking through anything that is, like that would be huntable that you mm-hmm. would hunt. Cause I'm not going to hunt the, the food plot or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty quiet too. So as long yeah. as you have a good wind, um, you should be good getting in that road. And then you can get to the back side of the property a little bit more quickly and a little bit more quietly, which is, that's where kind of all the sign was that I found, which is yeah. where I kind of want to probably focus my hunts. But I think I'm going to Turkey hunt there this year. That'd be sweet. And I like those places are awesome to see if you can get access through the private. Mm-hmm. Cause Deer hunting, people are a little, their guard comes down a little bit, and then you just want to walk through their property to hunt the public. Yeah. It's nice because then you get different vantage points to get in on birds that you might not be able to go down the same path that everyone else is going. And I did see some scratching and stuff in there. So I I could tell that there were birds. (laughs) So I could see, I could tell that there were birds in there. Yeah. Um, I just haven't had a chance. Unfortunately, I didn't have any cameras with me while I was Mm -hmm. out there because. I guess my plan, I'm definitely going to put some cameras in there for deer season, but I don't know that I'll get back out there yet in time to put a camera up to see if there's any birds. I'm not really sure which 
so there's like three food plots they kind of have set up. Like when you first walk into the property, like the if you can imagine like just as a square, mm-hmm. the road, like the, the access road is on the left-hand side or like where they would bring the tractors in or whatever the equipment. And then off to your right-hand side, there are small food plots that are maybe only like 50 yards wide, 30 to 50 yards wide, depending. Mm-hmm. Like there's three of them that are different sizes. but And there may be 75 yards long. You know what I mean? So like it's close. Just imagine maybe a football field would yeah. be the easiest way just to imagine it. And there's one right at the front, like almost as soon as you go in, right? And then there's like a buffer strip of timber, like off to like the the left side of it if you were walking down as you entered it, right? Got it. So and that's probably twenty five thirty yards wide, right? And then mm-hmm. there on the other side of that, there's another field about the same size, and then there's another buffer strip of timber. It's about that's about the same width, right? It's about thirty yards wide by about a hundred yards long, right? And that feeds into like a swamp area basically. And then after that, there's yet another field. Right. Okay. And then there's just timber then after that or whatever. So I could see where there was, you know, Turkey sign, Mm -hmm. but I'm just not sure which, if I were going to hunt around one of those fields and maybe set up some decoys or something like that, I'm not sure which one I would focus on necessarily. Um, cause I don't have any Intel as to like, yeah, they strutting in this field or versus the backfield or whatever the case is. So I think my game plan is probably just get there early in the morning, do a little calling mm-hmm. and see if I get anything to respond and then start to move toward it and set up in one of those field areas, maybe set up a decoy and then try to get it to come in. Yeah. That's probably my, what my, my strategy is going to be. Don't know how good of a strategy it is since I'm not a great turkey hunter. Any strategy is a good strategy. Right. As long as I have a plan. Yeah. And it's all that matters. <laughs> you know, I think one of my favorite things about turkey hunting, man, is that, you know, you and I have talked about this with uh, waterfowl hunting yeah. is that for me, at least like my um, stress level goes down, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm not as I'm, I'm excited to go hunt, but it's not, um, I'm not all freaked out about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where I'm like looking at trail camera pictures every day, trying to figure out what this deer is yep. doing. And you know, it's just like, well, that's what I do. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> there's no I got all these you. cameras out right now for on places where i know there's turkeys because on our area all the places i turkey hunt similar to deer hunting it's small yeah places yeah you do a lot of small parts i mean yeah. we talked about that last time that yeah you were on it's like you do a lot of small yeah we kill parcel hunting. two birds in pa on a property that's like less than two acres i have to get permission from like four different houses to be able to shoot a gun there because right. it's within a safety zone yep so i have written permission from all these houses but it's a best spot you yep. know it's like a little through way that the birds come through and hit the sun and and it's like timeable, right? Which is nice. And then a lot of the other spots are not as predictable, but I just like to see what birds are there because it's like sometimes you'll be like, oh, people go, man, there's like twenty birds here, and you go, and there's twenty jakes, right? And yeah, well, they don't know the difference, right? They're yeah, just like they see yep. or there's turkeys, fifteen hens, right? Which you're right. gonna get a a long beard at some point, theoretically. But it's like I don't necessarily have the time to just go there every day at the same spot and wait like right. deer hunting, yeah. So, like, sometimes I'll, I'll turkey hunt, like, six different spots in one day. Right. So, like, go in the morning, hunt, okay, nothing, no birds located, move to a different spot, try to locate a bird, move to a different spot, walk a power line to try to find a look. And once you can locate something, then it's, like, game on. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, you go at it much harder than I do. <laughs> you know, like, for me, turkey hunting, it's, like, just so everyone out there listening knows in full disclosure, I'm a... Uh, I would classify myself as a 
an opportunist yeah. and, a, and a recreational turkey hunter where, you know, I mainly do it just to get out yeah. and be in the timber um, and, and just to be able to be outside for a little bit. Yeah. Take my daughter if she's interested in going. This year she said she's not interested in going, which bums me out, but I'm not pushing her to yeah. go because at some point I want her to ask me again again yeah. to go. So I'm not, you know, making her know we're waking up super early. That's her biggest gripe. Like she doesn't mind going. She just doesn't like to get up, get up early. early. Yeah. And when I was 10, I didn't like getting up early either. I mean, yeah. my dad forced me to get up to go hunt like whenever I was of age. Yeah. You know, because he's like, this is just something you're going to learn to do. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't ruin it for me. You know, yeah. It's like I, I loved it, but, you know, I still didn't like getting up early. I have to admit, like, there was often times that I just fell asleep on the ground like, yeah. during hunting season. <laughs> I would take a nap, yep. you know. And I mean, look, I still do that during deer season. I'm not ashamed to admit it's like I will catch a 15-minute power nap in my saddle. Yeah. Like, no problem. But those are my turkey hunting plans. What state are you hitting this year, man? I don't know if we even talked about that. Um. Pennsylvania, I will. I got license in Jersey, um, New York. So Jersey, PA, New York, and then Minnesota is still a possibility. Really? Yeah. Going um, back out to visit your buddy? Yeah. Uh, one of my good buddies lives out there, and it's a possibility. Like It'll probably be like last year where I'll go, oh, I'm free this weekend. Right. And then try to find a ticket and get out there. Right. It was nice, Minnesota. I was surprised at how much um, property, public land there was. Really? Um, that was the first time I really used any sort of like app or map to right. find public land. Right. Because um, here it's pretty well marked, the spaces I've been. That when you live around here, it's like you'll, you'll yep. be driving down the road and you'll see the yeah. VA State Game Commission signs. So I had I set up on the place where I'd almost killed the bird the day before. And there was a bird just gobbling and hammering across the street. But it was just like a hay field and one hedgerow in the corner. Again, probably another 15 acres. So I go on the map. Um, I actually made an email to get another free trial. Nice. <laughs> which probably is not good to say. But I was like, <laughs> I need this right now. And I only need it for right now. Right. And um, well, I still use that email today, if anyone's wondering. But uh, I see that where that bird was, was on private, but there was another basically 10 acres of public across the street. Right. So I pick my stuff up, run across the street. No, I can't hear the bird. I put my decoy in the ground and then I hear just a bird hammer and he's like 15 feet from me behind a rose bush. Right. And it was like a hedgerow of like rose bushes basically. And so I jump into the bush, which at the time I didn't realize was a rose bush and right. I get so torn up Right. <laughs> and my feet are halfway out into the grass and the decoy is like four feet from my toes, and he struts right up to the decoy. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Last day, just how it all worked out, mm -hmm. I shoot and I miss. And he just sticks his head up. like At four feet, you miss. Yeah, it was embarrassing. <laughs> I I'm, cut, I'm glad you're telling I, it here. I cut, no one listens to this, I by the way. I cut real hard so he would come out of his strut. He was strutting hard. He puts his head up. But the way I was laying, I'm like laying on my left shoulder in this bush, shooting the shotgun from my right shoulder, trying to lean my head up. It was just awkward. Um, I miss, and he just, like, runs about 10 feet and stops and, like, looks back like, what just happened? And I was like, oh, man, boom, and I shot him on the second shot. But Jelly head. Yeah. When it was close, it's steel. It was a different choke that I'm not used to. I'd never mm -hmm. shot it. So right. I'm like, oh, four feet. This is a chip shot. Right over his head. He was like, 
what in the world just What's happened? What's crazy, though, is he didn't just completely bust out of there because, yeah. you know, they don't get the nickname Nervous Turkey. For yeah. Like- well, he when I shot, he kind of, like, flew up a little bit and then came back down, kind of like you'd see a pheasant, like, fly up and then fly down. Right. So he flew up and landed probably 10 or 15 feet away and then just stopped for a second. Right. And I had enough time to... Do you remember Minnesota? That was Minnesota, right? Yeah. What day of the week was that? Uh, trying to set up a segue here. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was, I know it was midweek. I want to say, I want to say it was a Monday. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. I'm well, not sure though. I could be wrong. I well, could check. The, the reason I was trying to set up a segue and to make this seem like we're professionals is, uh, there's been a lot of chatter, of course, in PA about Sunday hunting. Actually, I don't know. Do you know, have you ever met Galen? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I bought a, I bought a backpack from him. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. We met. Hey, dude, if you're listening, um, <laughs> no, I, he was selling a backpack that I really wanted. So I bought it and I, we spent a lot of time at the backcountry hunters and anglers. Okay. Yeah, actually, I do know that you met yeah. him because he had mentioned yep. that you guys ran into each other and he was like, Hey, yeah, know, I met your friend Wilson whenever yep. you know, Yeah. So he came over to the house. Uh, oh, it literally, I'm looking at my phone right now. It was a Sunday. It was it's perfect segue. <laughs> awesome. It literally was a Sunday. You know, he's mentioned this on his social platform, but he's, um, he's working on a, a documentary uh, around Sunday hunting and you can check his social platform for, you know, when, when this will come out for those of you out there listening. Um, you know, cause I'm not exactly sure of the dates or whatever, but he and I kind of spoke to, to get my thoughts on a, on a, on a few things. I was just curious, man, what do you think of Sunday hunting? Um, I love it. I love the idea of it. Um, since I did not grow up hunting, um, this idea of being in Pennsylvania where there is no Sunday hunting was very weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you regulate something I can't do on a day of the week? Right. You know, like, and I was surprised actually that more people didn't hunt on Sundays. Like, if somebody said, you can't drink coffee on Mondays, it would be like, I'm still drinking coffee on Mondays. Right, right. But to see the respect level where people go, it's a law. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. We abide by those laws, and I'm sure there's people that hunt it on Sundays. Yeah, I'm, I mean, but I'm sure that there are. But it, but you're right. It is interesting that they just kind of took that as like, for the most part, right? Yeah. Like you said, there. I'm sure there are some guys who are like, hey, this is the only day I have there's off always during the week. Be, I own yep. my own property. No one's going to see me. Like, not that it makes it right yep. or whatever. Not condoning it, but um, it is interesting that people just kind of bought into it. Yeah. You know, and I think the accessibility that it'll allow for people. For especially I as a dad now, for a father to take out like a kid or mm-hmm. a mentor or a youth on a Sunday, because right now a lot of those guys only have one day to hunt on the weekend. That's it, yeah. And so they're going to give that day up to take a youth or another adult that's never hunted? I don't think so. Right. So giving them another day for that is awesome. Now it's, for me, my days off are Saturday and, and Monday. Right, yeah. So my weekend, quote unquote weekend, I work all day Sundays, so I never really ran into an issue. Like, I can't hunt Sundays. Even if they make it legal, yeah. it's just not going to happen. Right. Or if it did, it would be very rare. Yep. To where It'll, it's yeah. like you ha- – just in full disclosure, like, you work as a as a youth pastor. Yep, I work know, at so a church. Like, so your Sundays are spoken for. Yeah. And you might be able to – if there's not family obligations for some reason after yeah. church, it's like you might be able to get out once in a blue moon, yep. but it's not going to change. We'll, we'll see attendance go down at church on Sunday or something. <laughs> But uh, no, but I think, man, just the opportunity to give people another day in the mm-hmm. woods. And this is coming from a guy that's not going to hunt on Sundays. Right. Like, I've met some guys who won't hunt on Sundays and they're against it. Right. But I think it comes from a little jealousy of like, the like, well, I can't be in the woods, so I don't want anyone to be in the woods. Right. 
man, I would love for that opportunity for, for, for another everyone. day. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think so too. And I'm not going to give away like some of the stuff that, you know, um, Galen and I talked about. Yeah. I'm his, really, his I'm really pumped for that to come out. I'm pretty stoked. You know, it's, um, you know, he's taking this on himself, which is, I mean, if anyone out there knows him, he's a, you know, a, a supporter of, you know, big supporter of conservation mm-hmm. and just representing hunting the right way. And so I appreciate his efforts. I appreciate anybody who's doing something to kind of yeah, voice a message that's, that's important. And it sounds like fingers crossed. It sounds like there's good, there's good movement, yep. you know, as, as they say, um, more movement than it's ever gotten. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to jinx it, but I'm hopeful, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's something that, you know, when you travel to other states and you hunt, like when I go to Ohio, I mean, that's one of yeah. my favorite things about going to Ohio is whenever I take a two week trip to Ohio to hunt, yep. it's like I can hunt the full two weeks. Same you know with what I mean? Minnesota, Jersey, New York. Pretty much everywhere. You don't go like, oh man, I can't hunt, you know? So like when opening day is on a Saturday, mm-hmm. you can hunt Saturday and Sunday and go on Friday and come home Monday morning and it's a really nice trip. Yeah. But I think one of the things that Pennsylvania hunters need to be ready for, prepared is this idea that if it is legal on Sundays, it's not going to be what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't think it's going to just be like free rain mm-hmm. where, all right, all things go yeah. on Sunday. I think we need yeah. to be prepared when they say we're going to Sunday hunt for early archery and gun season right. and then end it. Well, I think, you I know, think, like there, it, I think there's going to be some variations or some, there's going to be some testing and some trade offs yep. that's going to happen. Like, yeah. right. That's with anything. And maybe I, it's youth and maybe it's once a month, you know? Right. And that's what I've kind of heard. And, and there might be official information out there and yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm not the most, um, well read on this topic. It's yep. like, I understand it well enough or I, I understand it as a, as a, as a, from a very high level, yeah. I guess I should say. But what I have kind of heard um through the grapevine and kind of spoke to some folks who are mm-hmm. more in the know than me um is that it most likely to your point is going to roll out in some type of trial capacity yeah. where it's like you're going to be able to hunt one sunday a month or yep. two sundays a month or you know one sunday a month during archery season and then we're going to allow like one sunday during rifle season yep. you know it's like so there's going to be to your point it's not going to be like full on like here you go yeah because i think it's important that whatever Hopefully, fingers crossed, it does rule out in some capacity. But yeah. I think you're going to have to show, have a show of good faith to those who oppose it. Yeah, that it's not going to fundamentally change everyone else's life yeah. per se, because that's what they're worried about. And I think some of the concerns that they have are unwarranted. You know, I'm yep. not going to go through like the list of them or whatever. But you know, I think you do need to make sure that you know. I'll just go back and say we are outnumbered as hunters. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we have we enjoy the the privilege yep. it's not a right it's a privilege to hunt by yep. the grace of others the yeah. other 96% of the country that lets us do it um so i think we always have, kind of have to keep that in mind and always put our the best foot forward and yeah. basically say if we're allowed to do this let us prove to you that it's going to be okay yep. right and i know that we can look at pretty much any other state and say look it's, it's okay in these it. places yeah. right but just think about your own personal life if you're son or daughter came home right they just mm-hmm. make it very contextual and said hey i'd like to get my nose pierced my cheek pierced and like my face all pierced up right i'm going extreme here right? yeah yeah. and their rationale was i just bit my tongue on accident <laughs> thinking about that Ow. <laughs> so if their rationale was well everybody else is doing it and they're fine yeah right as a parent you'd be like yeah but i'm not buying that right if your friends jumped off a cliff would you right yeah, that old, old saying right but if they came to you and said hey you know, I would like to get a second ear piercing. 
right? Can I start with that? Mm-hmm. You're much more likely to say, okay. And then whenever I realize you're mature enough to understand that, like, you don't need to look like a tackle box. Yeah. You know what I mean? For it's real. like, Did um, you fall into my fishing box? Right. What's up? Then, then you're like, okay, cool. You're mature enough to handle yeah. these decisions, yep. right? I think it's similar in, in this, that it's like, yep. we have to prove as a group and it's somewhat unfortunate that we have to, right? But it's like the circumstances are what they are. As we were yeah. talking about at the beginning, I'm a realist. Yep. The reality is, is that we still have to prove it. You know what I mean? That's why if they give us an inch in the sense of they loosen up a little bit yeah. and give us an inch, we cannot right away push for the mile. Right. Well, like, we have to earn the mile. Yep. Like that's, yeah. and that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I know there's, I'm sure there's people out there thinking like, you know, well, I should be allowed to hunt whenever because, you know, it's, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. But I just look at it from the point, from a position of reality that these things are, are earned, especially when you don't have them and they yeah. aren't rights per se. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, again, it is a privilege. And so if we want to extend our privilege further, then we have to prove it to those who are going to be the ones that, uh, that allow us to have it, yeah. have the extension. Right. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think it also gives hunters an opportunity to really position ourselves in a really good light. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, to, it puts a little bit more focus on us. Yeah. Um, which can work in our advantage and can work mm-hmm. to our disadvantage. It just yeah. depends on what type of interactions we're creating with, with people. Right. So it's like if they Sunday hunting and all of a sudden, like one of the concerns is maybe more trespassing happens. Right. Yeah. I'm a believer that trespassing is going to happen, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday. So to yeah. me, it's like, it, that is kind of not a, a non issue or non point. But if all of a sudden, if the perception is all of a sudden, like, you know, a farmer or whomever is like, I never have trespassing during the week or on Saturdays, but every Sunday, yeah, Joe down the street has the day off and he's always on my property. Yep. You know what I mean? That's unfortunate because then it looks like as the whole, we're trespassing to that guy. Yep. Right. Sunday hunting is bad. That's not really the issue. The issue is, is Joe's a jerk. Yeah. You know what I mean? That he's yep. not following the rules, right? So call me all to come take care of Joe. Right. <laughs> nice. But uh the one thing we were talking about earlier, man, I know we were uh while we were having having coffee, I was mentioning I'm doing a little uh little barbecuing this weekend. I'm gonna try using my coffee for the first time as a as a rub. And you had mentioned that you were Ooh. uh you're uh you're partaking of the of the Traeger move. Yes. Yeah, I always Years, years and years ago, I went to a, our state fair in Washington, or Washington. Washington. Yeah. yeah. Is and, that how um, they say it out there? No. Oh. That's how visitors say it, and we laugh at them. In Washington <laughs> State. And I went to the state fair, and we're going through like the commercials aisle where they got all these things for sale, and we go by this grill section, and um, I'm looking at this grill. My wife and I just got married. We didn't have a grill. And she had a full-time job. I had a full-time. We were like, what can we spend our money on? And mm-hmm. so I'm like, man, I need this grill. And my wife, the guy goes, you can bake a cake in this smoker. And my wife was like, we need this smoker. <laughs> so I'm looking at the price tag, and I was like, I'm not. I'm just not doing it. Well, I right. regret not buying it back then because we grill all the time. Right. I mean, I grill in the winter. It'll be snowing outside, yeah. Yeah. and I'm grilling. It's just, I just, it's. I like to do that. Yeah. I grill a lot too. Yeah. And I'm not like the guy who's like, oh, I'm a, the best griller in the world. I could be the worst griller in the world for all I know. Right. It's just my favorite mode of cooking. Right. So, um, less to clean up in the house too. Yeah. Yep. And there's always smoke and it always involves bacon. And then the house doesn't always reek when you got visitors over there. Like, right. what, what died in here? Right. And what smells so good? 
I'm like, I don't know. So it's what you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> so I somehow got a connection to get a discount on a Traeger. So I'm like, it's happening. And uh, it's tech, like there's technology in it, which is crazy. I don't really know much about it yet. So right. when it comes, you have to have like a PhD to put it together, I think. Right. And uh, so I'll be putting it together. And then um, we have one moose tenderloin left. Ooh. And so it's kind of like. Dude, that moose was so good too. Oh, man. Dude, love it. Yeah. I actually use a Smoky Mountain. I was kind of making yeah. fun of you a little bit for going Yeah, to, going and I was like, oh, I'm not going to get it. Everyone's getting a Traeger. It's like Traeger bandwagon right now. No offense to anyone. Because they're great. They're great smokers. Yeah, look, I've never used one, so yeah. I can't speak from a point yep. of um, you know, expertise. Yeah. But I will say it's like I've. So I have a friend who is way into smoking food, yeah. and we're getting way off the topic of deer hunting yeah, and turkey hunting and hunting in general. Um, he is way into smoking food, and so I've kind of learned from him. I let him yeah. kind of not be the guinea pig, but like yeah. he's super into it. Like how I watch. He's your sensei. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what I what I watch on YouTube is like I'm infatuated with anyone who's a good drummer. So I watch yeah. drumming videos all the time on YouTube. Yep. He watches barbecuing videos all the time yes. like learning new recipes and stuff like that so he did a bunch of research and ended up getting the smoky mountain like the weber because it was stacked up uh pretty closely to the green egg yeah which is like ridiculously expensive more than i'll ever spend on, on a smoker yeah but the smoky mountain was like a nice kind of like a lot of guys that are pros it's barbecue yep. or whatever like they use those so i was like all right cool good enough for me and then he had one and i we used it and it was killer. So I was like, all right, check. I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing that. And there's just something about working like the fire and the coals and stuff like that, that I just kind of get into, especially yeah. like when the weather's nice, it's supposed to be nice Saturday. So yeah. I'm going to go out, I'm going to do a brisket rubbed with our coffee. With oh, like yeah. going to use that as like part of the rub and I'm doing ribs too. Sweet. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty jacked about, about trying, trying that out. Yeah. But so if you're free, Saturday. Saturday. I am helping my neighbor put up a fence on Saturday. Not in between me and him, but in between. I was going to say. No, no, no. In between him. <laughs> I don't and, know that I would help that guy. And his neighbor. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome that he finally has some privacy. And now I don't have to right. look down. And, right. Anyways. Nice. Yeah. He was like, I'm building this fence. I was like, you know, I can help you. Nice. Does he have, does he have ground to hunt? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. No. No. Okay. Right. No. So you're just doing it. There is no ulterior motive okay, other than gonna, he's a nice guy. His kids are the same age as my kids. Nice. Not everything I do is for hunting ground. Right. Well, it's it's not a bad thing yeah. that it is necessarily either, you know. Yep. The uh but one of the other things we were talking about, man, was uh again we had coffee shop talk and we kept saying, Oh, we have to talk about this on the podcast. Yep. Oh, we should talk about this Write on the podcast. Down. Um and this is something that, you know, for anyone out there listening, if you've listened to any of the past episodes with with Cody DeQuisto or whatever, he and I started touching on this a little bit with John. And I think even we talked about it maybe just a little bit with Chad too, when we did, when we had the the larger group at, at Harrisburg is the idea of extreme sports kind of, well, let me, let me ask you this. I, I kind of want to ask this question and maybe I'll ask it in social media. Cause I put out a 
a question or a poll that was asking how many folks out there um, who hunt also kind of grew up either, you know, participating in extreme sports or are continuing to participate in extreme sports. And by that, I mean, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, BMX, motocross, MMA, basically anything that is a solo mission, anything that is like you and one other, one other person, you know, and you and I started talking about it a little bit where yeah. it seems like there's this, so there's two things and I have, I have a theory, I guess that I'm, I, I don't know how I would ever substantiate it or mm-hmm. if, or if I ever will, but you know, looking at hunting as a whole, right. You know, it, it started dawning on me probably more as I started going to like some of these trade events, right? So ATA and Harrisburg, of course, as well. Yeah. Harrisburg is a little different, but like looking at ATA because that's really where the industry is, right? Yeah. Um, that's the Archery Trade Association. Yeah. Correct. That, that yeah. event. Yeah. And just also looking at like social media and the content people are putting out and stuff like that. Like I, I, I kind of started thinking about the idea that, you know, I think that the demo of hunting is changing, right? I know we can look at the stats from QDMA and some of the game and fish studies that happened, like the age groups of hunters and the hunter numbers are dwindling. But I think what would be interesting is looking more specifically of what's that, the hunters that are coming in, like, are we losing hunters because, you know, there's not access because we're doing a lot to like work for access with folks like BHA and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, so there's that. I do agree that the access maybe is diminished from maybe when I was growing up just because I think people have bought up a lot more land, so there's a lot less land that's open. Hunters or farmers maybe aren't as willing to let people hunt their ground as they were when I was growing up or people are building more fences as, as, yeah. as you are. You know, building fences. Um, you know, so I understand that access might be an issue and most likely probably is contributing to it. But I was wondering, you know, with the younger group of hunters that are coming up because as i was going to some of these shows and observing it's like i'm seeing some of these hunters especially you know guys who are you know like turning more toward that public land like the challenge of it right that it's like they almost have like this extreme sports background yeah to a degree right because it's a younger audience like it's not you know i'll just say it for me personally it's like whenever i look at guys or girls out in the hunting industry it's like the the Terry and Mark Drury's of the world, great hunters. Yeah. And no disrespect to them whatsoever. Yeah. They just don't trip my trigger. Yeah. Like they didn't really grow up like I grew up in it. They didn't really, they don't hunt like I had to grow up hunting. Yeah. You know, and even now the way they hunt is just a world apart from how I approach hunting. Yeah. You know which is mean? not wrong. It's just different. It's just different. Right. Yeah. And so I'm looking at it going, you know, in, in our, where we're getting hunters from or where we're recruiting hunter, hunters from potentially isn't necessarily going to continue to be, and I don't think it's as much as it used to be, always rural America per se either, right? It's like take you know my age range, for example. I'll, I'm 40 years old, right? Old man now. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Get out of town. But I grew up in an era where you know skateboarding was really big, right? Yep. So I skateboarded growing up. I snowboarded growing up. I had a bunch of friends who were BMX riders. Mm-hmm. I rode motocross you know it didn't i I raced a little bit it was never like professional it was just amateur stuff Mm -hmm. around you know around where i grew up um you know i'm into mma yeah stuff like that so there's these sports that are much more like solo missions that i that i grew up with right now i live in the suburbs and if you look at like where most of the country lives right it's like Mm -hmm. especially if you grew up in a rural area right yeah a lot of times you start to gravitate toward those suburbs suburb (laughs) suburbs and metro areas because once you're you know 
Well, unfortunately, uh, life's not as sustainable anymore. Right, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. That's, yeah. that's where jobs are. So people are yeah. kind of forced to go there, which then, like, that next generation of kids, like, who are now, you know, and not kids, but, like, adults, you know, who are yep. your age, yeah. maybe a little younger, and you're, what, 20, 27. 27, right? So we're talking that, like, mid-30s to, like, you know, yeah, getting close to that millennial, even though that's a, I don't like categorizing people like that because yeah. they don't all function the yeah. same way because you're very much not a typical millennial, right? Yeah. But those folks came from a different upbringing, mm-hmm. right? And not that it's better or worse. It's just different with access to different things. So your attention and what you are focused on growing up is as far as your hobbies or your passions were more diverse Yeah, because you just had more opportunity because you yep. were in spaces that provided more opportunity, right? Yeah. And so I look at it and look at the hunting industry and say, you know, the people who are re- representing it at the top, and I'm not talking about ethics and morals, right? Because you could debate that, right? It's like, yeah. like, I'll just use the Drury's again as an example. I don't think there's anything that they do that's morally incorrect or ethically incorrect. I think they represent the hunting industry and yeah. the hunters in a, in a good way. I think they always put their best foot forward and appreciate that from them. But are they truly kind of aligned and able, someone who is 22 years old thinking about like, hey... I hunted a little bit growing up with my dad. I'd really like to get into it, but there's no beacon in the hunting industry for them to look toward and say, yeah. hey, this person's like me. Because we're always, as much as we don't want to admit it, like people are, are, are um, you know, they're always looking, for, they're homogeneous, right? Yep. They're always looking for a group that looks like them to, to kind of identify with and be part of, right? Mm-hmm. And for that person, you know, if I looked at myself now, like part of the reason, you know, hunting became less of an important thing for me whenever I was a young kid is because I wasn't into skateboarding, snowboarding, music, those yep. things. I didn't know a single person who was a diehard, dedicated hunter that was into any of those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So whenever I looked for someone who looked like me, you know, to say, hey, I can identify with that person. There wasn't one, right? Yep. And I feel like there's something there that like this next group of hunters and maybe even my age, mm-hmm. right? Like there's not someone who I, who looks like them, acts like them, and has the same interests as yeah. them, right? It's like it's really hard for a 22 year old kid to go, ter- unless he grew up in like hunting is all he ever wanted to do. Yeah. Then the Drury's make sense, right? Yeah. But if he grew up in a suburb suburban area, which yep. most kids do now, right? Yeah. Or young adults do now, and they probably grew up going to shows, skateboarding, snowboarding, yep, doing Brazilian jiu jitsu, like whatever yeah. it is, right? It's like who's that person? Yep. That says, hey. Hunting culture can still be part of your lifestyle. Yeah. Even though it's not the main thing, it can still be part of it because yeah. hunting, because all those things you did as a skateboarder, snowboarder, or whatever, all those lessons you've learned mm-hmm. and all the lessons you learned in hunting, they're all applicable back and forth between one another. Yeah. Right? There's not like this segmentation that you have to be this, this, or this. Yeah. Well, I have a three-year-old and my wife said to me the other day, we need to talk about maybe putting our son into kickboxing. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then as you think about it, it's kickboxing or baseball or soccer or um, other team sports because those things, culture views as a good thing for a growing kid. Right. And, you know, in our culture now. Yeah. Hunting, hiking, fishing are typically not something they're like, we need to get them into that. Right. Because people don't know or understand the life lessons that can come from that. Mm-hmm. Like I was just fishing with a guy yesterday who had never been fishing before and we're on a creek and there's a guy across from him and he goes, well, we can't fish here. I said, no, we have, there's like a understanding what we're going to have. Like he's going to cast once he's out of the way, all cast. And there's like a respect. Right. 
but I didn't, that wasn't inherent to me. Like I had to learn that right from my dad. Right. But I learned it from fishing, right. you know, growing up. And so I think that mentality of like extreme sports, whatever it's kickboxing, there's such a correlation and I don't mm-hmm. think it's a replaceable correlation. It's like side by side. Like right. it's the same. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just think that, I just feel like there's there's a missed opportunity with with people, and I think that we could equally. I don't want to hate using the word recruit because I feel like it's it has a weird connotation. Yeah, right? like it's we could create another path for people to dive deeper into hunting if yeah. it was an applicable part of like their overall lifestyle that fit into the other things that they do. Yep. Right. So for like, I'll just give you an example. Like, so look at a guy like Jason Matzinger. Yeah. Right. In, into high country. I think it's the yep. show that he has. Right. Jason is a wonderful filmmaker. Yeah. Right. He hunts, you know, nonstop, lives in Montana, works with a lot of huge hunting brands. I'm yep. sure everyone out there listening probably knows who he is. If you don't check him out. Yeah. He's an incredible steward for hunting. Yeah. Conservation. You know, the whole, the whole nine. Like he's if you're going to build like a, a hunter. Right. And say, like, yeah, you know, here's a guy who does it the right way, has the passion, you know, all yeah. those things. Right. Like he's a really good example. Right love snowboarding right yeah and so it's it's that idea that like you don't have to give up one to, ha- to which have which is the funny other. i was not surprised when i saw that i wasn't either no i saw like you know whatever on social media some way i saw a picture of him snowboarding and i was not surprised at all i'm like oh cool yeah because i don't know why but in my brain i just connected but that's because i have an action sports background i don't have a hunting background right so to me they have just gone hand in hand. Right. Because I've taken the same principles and kind of swapped it over. Right. And so when I see people in the media or friends that I know who hunt, who also are like, I can't wait for ski season. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I, the only reason I personally stopped snowboarding is because it was in deer season. Right. So I, I just said financially, time management wise as well i don't have the ability to do both i think that's a good point because i think what i'm saying isn't necessarily from a financial perspective you always yeah. have to pick and choose yep. right like you, no one has well i shouldn't say no one few people have the means to just do whatever they want whenever they want yeah. right and i'm certainly not and in i that, wanted to that do them well right you know? and you prioritize right yep. and so hey for the person whose priority is snowboarding and they're just not going to hunt as often like i get it you know what I mean? Not suggesting that it should be the, 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 the focus on hunting. I'm more thinking of the approach to hunting, the quality of lifestyle that you get. Like it can be a part of all these other things. And I think we need to look at ways to integrate ourselves into those different lifestyles. Like hunting, yeah. I'm going to frame this really poorly, but this is the best way I can kind of figure out how to say it is like hunting should be part of like the snowboard culture. Hunting could or shouldn't be, shouldn't say should, could be. Mm-hmm. Hunting could be part of a skateboard culture. Yeah. Hunting could be part of big wave surfer culture. We were just talking about Shane Dorian. Yeah, Shane. Huge big wave surfer in Hawaii. Yep. Hardcore hunter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it's that type of idea where you're starting to see more of these people because there's there's uh, there's benefits outside of like the idea of, you know, um, you know, dedication, perseverance, like all those things that we talk about when yep. we do really tough hunts. There's also the aspect of like the health aspect of it. Like athletes are always trying to get an advantage. Like you're seeing it more and more, I think in MMA because of a guy like Chad Mendez, right? Like, you know, his approach to hunting was, I mean, he loves to hunt, but I mean, part of it was, is it supported the healthy lifestyle he needed to lead 
Yeah. So he was in top condition to be able to perform as an elite level fighter. You know what I mean? So it became part of his hunting or part of his fighting lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And so I guess that's part more of what I'm saying is like making sure that we create opportunities and ways that hunting can interject itself in support, maybe other, a lifestyle that hunting isn't the priority, yeah. but could be a really important part of for that yeah. person. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but I found out some interesting stuff about you, man. You showed me some motocross. Like, do you, every time we hang out and talk, like I'm always learning something. Like I had no clue that you surfed until yeah. today. I had no clue that like you showed me you hitting a jump on a motocross yeah. bike. that was like a 95 foot launch. It was unfortunate. It was uh, unfortunate. Yeah. It's just scary. <laughs> no, it's because when I started, which is why I'm excited for, I don't know if I'm spilling beans, but this why I hunt series that yeah, you're talking it's, about. It's, yeah. We're going to get um, into that here in a second. Is, uh, is because um, I, uh, when I started hunting, I basically stopped everything else. Right. I stopped really surfing. I stopped um, riding bikes. I stopped skating. I stopped snowboarding mm-hmm. because it was kind of this transfer. I was like, I'm new to this. I don't want to be distracted. I just want to just get into hunting. Right. And now, as I'm kind of getting my roots into hunting, and this next season will be my fourth season hunting. So it's kind of like. I'm not like walking around with my head cut off anymore. Right. In a sense, I still have a ton to learn for sure, like a lot, but I'm starting to get back into like going surfing a little bit over the winter with my father in law. And um, my wife and I get the longboard out and maybe ride around the neighborhood. But then I started riding dirt bikes and it's a ton of fun. But every time I get on a dirt bike, I'm like, if I get hurt and can't hunt, and well, yeah, I can't <laughs> hunt, I can't do things around the house. I mean, my house is skinny and tall mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stairs. Right. So I'll be living in the basement basically. Um, but yeah, so I stopped talking about it. Stop. It kind of not became not a part of my life. Right. But the one thing I love about action sports is it's a personal challenge. Yeah. You know, like with snowboarding, it's like, you know, you hear people are like, oh, I did a black diamond or I did a double black diamond. Right. For me, it was never about the color of the run, but the challenge of your line mm-hmm. maybe per se. So did I push myself? Like if I got to the bottom and I didn't fall, it was kind of like, Oh, I probably didn't push myself hard enough. Right. Right. Or if I got to the bottom and wasn't out of breath, right. I didn't try hard enough. Right. And so it was always this challenge between me and the action I was doing. Right. So then when I started hunting, it was the same way. Right. Every time it was a learning curve. And see, I almost feel like that's a mentality of, I mean, other athletes push themselves too, right? Whether it's team sports, but the individualized sports, yeah. there's there's just something different about it because there's no one to pick you up, yep. right? Even though you might be dedicated and you might be a volleyball player with a team, a basketball player, a football player, whatever it is, but your, your effort could be less than maximum yeah. on certain plays and your team around you can pick you up or the play doesn't come to your side or yep. whatever, right? Yeah. With extreme sports and individualized sports like that, like it is all you and so it's really apparent whenever you didn't go all in right and that's something like that i find with like you know this is something that you know we talked about a little bit with cody is just like that's very specific to like how a certain group of hunters hunt where it's like they're looking to like you know they're looking to get after it yeah they're looking to do tough hunts yeah the the more challenging the better they're not looking for the chip shot you know i mean now look, if we all know there's a big deer living somewhere and we can easily go make that hunt happen, it's yeah. like, and, but that's also part of it is like the challenge strategically. 
right? So it might physically not be demanding, but you had to put all the pieces together, which yeah. was a challenge, which then led you to success. But yep. that was a nice segue for the the Why I Hunt series because that's one of the things that we want to try to, or that I would like to try to do here over the course of like the next year is have some different folks on talking about why they, they hunt, and you're my first guinea pig yeah <laughs> to, to to do that do you know guinea uh, pig tastes good i do not know i'm just kidding do I? I, I used to know. have a guinea pig is, <laughs> i won't go into that story because it's a little <laughs> lewd but <laughs> the uh um you know i was thinking about just why i hunt it's something i've yeah. been trying to reconcile for a while because i think as we age it changes over time right 100%. or as we experience i maybe age is the wrong word but as we experience it changes over time um and I've tried to think about it for, for me. And I think for me especially, it's changed a lot probably over like the past four years or so. Yeah. Um, and I'm still searching for the answer, right? Because there's a lot of reasons why. But I wanted to do a series, and this isn't necessarily the mini series because we're talking about a lot yeah. more than hunting on this, but like this is the first time I'm really kind of teeing it up. It's it's a really simple question. Yeah. Why I hunt. But if you've ever heard someone try to answer it, yeah, it's it's extremely an extremely complex answer Yep. and people start to grasp at a lot of different things because I don't think it's any one thing and they have a hard time. And I think answering this question and being able to communicate it, it will be important for how hunting is viewed by non hunters in general. Right. Yeah. Um, just because the way we answer this question, you know, just for example, I like the trophy hunt could be an answer. Yeah. It could be a, just a real short answer. Right. And that's a perfectly fine answer. Yep. But that message, how you frame that yeah. to people who aren't hunters is going to have an impact on how they view hunting. Right. And I'm just yeah, using that, that as an example because it's much more nuanced than just that one answer. So I'm yeah. just giving a very generic kind of, you know, image yep. of this. So for you, yeah. Let's peel the onion a little bit, man. Why do you hunt? Yeah. And when you asked me that question earlier, instantly in my head, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa why do I hunt? Because I've asked people that question, and I've answered that question, and I feel like every time you could get a different answer. Um, I think back to how did I start hunting? That's a typical question that you is easier to answer. Yeah. Because people either they grew up hunting, or my dad drug me out hunting. Yep. Or you know I won a hunt, you know, at a raffle, or yep. there's all these different things. For me, it, why I hunt has to do a lot of from my growing up. Mm -hmm. it was just this mystery to me mm -hmm. hunting growing up in Seattle. I'm, I'm outside of Seattle, but still in the city. Mm -hmm. And my dad was in law enforcement and we had guns and I was like, let's hunt. And he, you know, guns were for work. Right. Um, so we shot guns a few times growing up, but it was just strictly to know how to use a firearm. Cause you had him in the house. Yep. Right. We had him in the house. He had him locked up, but he was like, they will know how to be responsible gun owners. So I was never right. scared of guns, never, but they were for work. Right. And I always wanted to hunt. And I remember growing up always asking for a shotgun because I just figured that's what you hunt with was a shotgun. Right. And it wasn't until I was 22 <clears throat> that I got a shotgun. And I just told my friend, I said, hey, I want to I wanna hunt. Still at that point, I had no idea really why other than this mystery of like, what is it about? I loved being outside and... So we went to hunter safety class and we were totally, you know, the odd one out there. Like right. I'm wearing skinny jeans with rips in them and skate shoes, you know, and a baggy sweatshirt. Which again goes back yep. to what we were talking about before, yeah. like creating that, that opportunity that it's okay for people who are into night hunting's not their life, that yep. there is an entry point for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so we take the hunter safety course. We get our hunter safety. And I went duck hunting. And I killed a duck. And then it was like, oh, my goodness. What do we do now? So we plucked it. We ate it. And it was, I think, at that moment where I was in my house. My sister was there as well. She kind of helped cook it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, the opportunities are endless. Mm-hmm. And two best friends, you know, me and my good friend did it together. Ours was our first time ever. Mm-hmm. And the joy that we had and the memories we made from getting up at 1 a.m. to go out to this duck spot, hike out there and mm-hmm. set up in the middle of the night and fall asleep and wake up. It was just the memories we made from one time. It was like, there's so many opportunities for this. And I feel like my life was bettered from right. that moment. Right. And then I thought back to what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? Right. And it was like this activity has now bettered my life. And now to having a family where I can provide meat, mm-hmm. like quality meat that we like to enjoy to eat mm-hmm. at a low cost mm-hmm. is, uh, is very enjoyable to me. But it's something different. It's more than that. It's like, you know, I say spiritual, yeah. but it is just this time that I get to get out and challenge myself, my like inner being to get out and enjoy nature and set goals and achieve them, you know? Right. And it's not a season by season thing for me. So when I first started, it was like, all right, I have to, you know, Pennsylvania is a one buck state. Mm-hmm. I moved here and I was like, all right, I have to kill a buck. I have to kill a buck. And um, that was my goal because mm-hmm. I realized in my head, I have one buck take. I have to kill a buck before the season's over. So I killed a buck. And then that next year it was like, I really wanted to kill a certain buck. So I ended up not killing a buck and I, I caught a lot of heat for it. Right. Guys were like, oh, you didn't kill a buck last season, huh? But to me, it had gone, I had realized at that moment that hunting had become more than a seasonal thing for me. Yeah. It was a bigger picture. And I think that's that millennial breakdown is like, we were just talking about it. Millennials, my generation, we think, they think six to nine months ahead, that's it. Mm -hmm. But past that, they're not thinking about that. Right. So they're thinking right in the moment, what is going to benefit me? And now being older and maturing and having kids and a wife and and having a life, Mm -hmm. I'm now thinking farther ahead. And so my hunting goals ha- are not just right here in the moment. They're long-term, right. you know? Right. And so for me, it's like now I'm hunting to prepare myself to get my son hunting. Mm-hmm. So when I hunt or when I acquire a place to hunt or I find new access, my first thought is like, oh, this would be an easy hike in for my son. Mm-hmm. So it has changed. So a year ago, my answer to why I hunt would be different right. than it is now. Right. So you talked a little bit about the intro into hunting, like yeah. you created like the opportunity, and yep. like and you were just like it bettered your life, and you were like, how yeah. many other opportunities are out there, yeah. right? And you started there. The last thing you said, you started projecting out a little further, like what does this mean, yep. long term? And before we go there, I want to circle back to the spirituality part of it. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that for a couple yeah. reasons. I feel similar to similar to you that that yep. is, it's a very and we're going to get a little hippy dippy here, yeah, you know, right. Um, but I think a lot of folks out there listening probably feel the same way. Like there's yep. like, whether you call it a spirituality thing mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a, a connection, yep. like whatever it is, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because you have spirituality in another place. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. not just your job, but like that part of your life is very important yep. to you in a different capacity than, than hunting. Yeah. Is there a, is there a similarity between the two? Do, yeah. Does one feed the other? Like, how like can you just talk about that a little bit yeah and that's one of the things i love about our relationship is like we have different spiritual beliefs yeah 
let me go in for the religious beliefs, right. you know, so where like we would, we differ, yep. but it's cool because we can respect one another, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll invite you to things that my church does or events and, and we have a common respect in that, which is really yep. cool. And for me growing up in a house that, you know, always went to church and whatnot, it wasn't until later in life, same, similar with hunting till I was 19 that I actually was like, man, I do now have a religious belief, right? you know, a spiritual belief um, in a relationship with God, you know, this idea of that. Right. And so when I started getting into hunting, man, my life is so busy mm-hmm. that it almost stuff kind of clouds that spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you get tunnel vision, you're doing stuff, you're task oriented, you're goal oriented, and you forget the overall picture. Right. So for me, like stress, anxiety, you know, it was just inevitable for me. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of dealt with that. And then getting into the woods where you're like, I'm going to strap your, strap myself to a tree and not move for hours. Right. It's this like, if you were to tell my parents, you know, my, when my parents heard I was doing this, like, how do you sit for that long? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. They're like, know, how right? do you stay still for so long? I'm like, it's, I don't know. But there's something about it where I sit, they feed each other. You know, so like I have my spiritual beliefs. And then when I'm in the woods, they are accentuated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because I have a belief on like how this, the world got to be or whatever. And right. I'm not a scientist. It's just what I, I firmly believe. And mm-hmm. so when I'm in the woods, it's accentuated. And there's just a relaxation and a peace. And man, when I come out of the woods, it's like I've kind of reset. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit the reset button. Yeah. Which has even more played a role into hunting is not seasonal, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't like when these guys are like, hunting's not a sport it's a lifestyle you know it's right. like but it is though yeah for me and i don't i don't even i don't know if i would say it's a lifestyle i would just say it's a part of my life which again goes back yeah. to what we were talking about before it's like yep. creating those opportunities for people to have different lifestyles for yeah. hunting to be to be part yep. part of it you know let me ask ask this you know as far as like do you think as hunters we do, and we'll take social media in, into this yep. ball of wax as well, because I think it's important, to, uh, an important context, because that's where a lot of communication happens today. Do you think that um, we're doing a good job of communicating the reasons why we hunt? And like I said at the when we started talking about this topic, I don't think that anyone has a wrong answer. Yeah. Right. In the one word answer. Right. I meat hunt, trophy hunt. Uh, spiritual connection, whatever it is, right? Yeah. If we just broke it down to like to a a, a a statement, I don't think any of them are wrong. So I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here that I think that there's one that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. I think the context we provide around it is extremely important. So yeah. regardless of what your answer is, right? Yep. One of those handful of answers that I just gave an example of. Yep. Do you think we as hunters do a good job contextualizing our answer to make sure that it's understood yeah. by the non-hunting public um where exactly we're coming from and that it's not necessarily a combative or a or or a or a statement or answer that's going to create a lot of tension yeah no i think um i think it's getting better uh because growing up when i saw hunting it was a newspaper headline Mm -hmm. or it was a youtube clip um but they were short and it was always just like rock music to a kill. Right. You know? Yeah. But I think with the advancement of videography 
photography, their people are starting to tell their stories more. Right. Which I'm a huge story person. Like yeah. I love to talk. I like to sit down for coffee and hear about it. So I'm more I'm less of a fan of these just like highlight reels of animals getting killed anymore. Right. Because I want to know the story. Like that's why I love backcountry hunting so much and these videos of like a sheep hunt because it's not just the killing of the sheep, but it's like, man, how did you get there? Right. And people go, then then they have more to connect to. Yeah. Oh, I like to hike or I like to do that or that's really cool. So I think the hunting society is getting better at sharing their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this needs to be a campaign on why I hunt. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to understand that it's going to be different than why than you hunt. That's So right there is kind of the rub, yep. right? Is getting a, a group of folks who you know have different points of view. I mean, you look at anything, doesn't matter what it is, right? Yeah. You look at any topic in hunting, whether it's, CWD, yeah, right, and what to do with that, right? Yeah, you throw that out into a room of ten hundred, you're going to get ten different opinions on yep. like how it should be managed, and, yeah, and and what its effective management looks like versus yep. not, right? It's just you can talk about camo, right, yeah. and like what camo works, what doesn't work, and you'll have ten different you know points of view on on that as well. I think it's this is going to sound really weird, but I'm I ready. think. I think maybe not really weird, but maybe hard to swallow might be a better way to put it. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, we're looking at extreme sports and figuring out how hunting fits into like these different lifestyles. I think that we could take a valuable lesson from some of those countercultures. Yeah. Right. Because if you think about it, really, hunting is a counterculture. Yeah. It's a very small population of people. Right. Yep. So, kind of by definition, it is a counterculture. Right? Yeah. We are not the mainstream. Now, yep. outside of hunting, we we might be very much mainstream, right? Yeah. Where it's like, I have the, the 2.5 kids and the, the yep. house, the regular job, like those things, right? Yeah. But like hunting itself is kind of counter counterculture-ish, yep. right? And so I think what some of these other countercultures have done and why they've been able to thrive and become, and I don't want to say mainstream isn't a bad thing, but accept it, right? Because I remember when I grew up skateboarding, skateboarding was seen as like heathenistic. Yeah. Right? It was like you were a dirtbag, yep. like troublesome youth riding a skateboard, yep listening to the devil's music you probably kill you know somebody I mean? you probably <laughs> right. do drugs right. like now all of a sudden you. like it's it's an accepted norm right yep. like if you're if you skateboard as a kid growing up today it's like oh cool yeah right i think what hunting can take from some of these and i'm sorry i keep using skateboarding but that's what i did growing up so yeah. i'm familiar with it um and I, I have a reason why i think skate skateboarding changed this is a small walmart started selling skateboards yeah yeah and then moms and the skateboards were where in the toy aisle. Right. So all of a sudden there was like a mom or a dad in Walmart or Target. I remember Target specifically, mm-hmm. and they were like, "There's a skateboard." Yeah. And it started to become normalized. Like I remember the first time I'm like, "There's a skateboard in Target." Right. Like maybe my mom will let me get it because it's in Target. Yeah. You know, it's not. I'm not getting it from like. No, I remember a quote unquote skate shop that had yeah. incense burning out front and dark. You know. Metallica playing out front. Listening to rock and roll yeah. or skate punk We had or a whatever, Vans yeah. off the wall store in my town and it was like I wasn't allowed to even go by there because it was bad, you know. They right. Were like, right. Don't go there. Right. Yeah. So I think what some of these countercultures did really well outside of like the <laughs> the mainstream market yeah. <laughs> getting into Walmart and Target. Yeah. Um, but even prior to that was it's so one of the things we you'll hear employers talk about a lot is building culture. Yep. Right. Everyone wants to figure out how to build culture because if you build a winning culture your business, your company wins. 
I feel like it's the same way for, and you create good leadership. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what happens. And when you have a good culture and it, your culture doesn't come from your leadership, your culture comes from the people of your company building the fabric of your culture. That's how it works. Got it percolates it. from the bottom yeah, up. Yeah. Like it doesn't ever come from the top down because that just feels like people making mandates and giving directives, right? Yeah. So I think the same thing kind of happens in some of these counterculture groups where because they are so and I don't want to say anti-authority because that's the wrong that's the wrong word. Because they're more democratic, might be a better yeah, yeah. way to put it. They don't care where the idea comes from or who owns it. They all kind of take ownership of a small piece of it and kind of let it just become what it's going to become from the group. Yeah. Right. Whereas I feel like hunting is often tried to, is trying to be controlled by certain larger groups of people or more influential groups of people are trying to kind of control what the hunting culture ends up becoming because they want it to stay this thing historically. Right. Yeah. It's this nostalgia that they're, that they're captivated by and like trapped by. Yeah. Right. And so folks are reluctant to let it just kind of evolve and become what it's going to become. Right. And I think that that's one thing that counterculture groups have always done really well. Like the whole idea of the counterculture was that there were no rules. There were no quote unquote leaders of it. Right. Yeah. It was just a group of like-minded people all moving in, in one kind of similar direction with one kind of similar thought, Yeah, like ideas, right. Or ethics or morals or whatever you want to call them. Right. I think what hunting has has done and maybe not by maybe somewhat by design maybe not but i think what's hurting it is that we're often saying or maybe we're not saying maybe it's the perception of others that if you're coming into this there's a set way that it happens yeah exactly there's a set way that you have to act there's a set kind of um behaviors and person not there's a certain type of person you have to be to do this right yeah and and I'm probably framing it really poorly, but it doesn't allow, it doesn't feel inclusive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where these other kind of counterculture groups feel inclusive. And that's why the youth gravitate toward them because they will all, they want to often move towards something where they feel like they belong and that they can kind of take ownership of yep. and help it become what it's going to become. Yeah. Where hunting kind of feels a little stodgy. Yeah. A little older not something that's going to be real open-minded and accepting. Yeah. Not something that's going to allow me to put my thumbprint on it and make it and make it my own. Yeah. But I feel like there's this group of hunters now that are becoming more, I think the the hunting public does it to a degree. Yeah. Right? They're kind of doing things on their own terms, but look, there's still, I think, you know, and I, I love those guys, you know, yeah. it's like Zach's great. He's been on the show. I've had Aaron on the show before, like good dudes. I've talked to him at ATA, but they're still, I mean, what they're doing media wise is different, but they still kind of fall in that like hunt culture kind of, um, because they grew up paradigm yeah. right and uh for me i, I can relate because in washington if you hunted deer we were on the west side of the state if you were a deer or elk or a bear hunter you had a camp mm -hmm. that you went to every year mm -hmm. and it was like you and a group of your friends took your campers or your trailers or whatever over the mountains and did like a week-long camp it was deer camp mm -hmm. and that was it and if you weren't involved in that you didn't really, I mean, mm -hmm. I never heard of anyone hunting. Right. Um, and so it was, it was exclusive. Yeah. And so there was no way, like, I never hunted. I don't, I didn't own a gun. I didn't own a bow. You're going to go up to somebody and be like, can I come to your camp that you've been doing for X amount of years with all your bed? No, I'm not going to get an invite. Right. And so 
you're left out on your own to go, I just got to figure it out. That's why duck hunting was so accessible because of the amount of water. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I can just drive down here and try to shoot a duck. Like, it was so easy. Right. In a sense, quote unquote. Right. And I think what, you know, Zach and Aaron, those guys are doing is awesome because they're kind of doing something. They're going out on land where anybody can go to and saying, look, you can do this. Right. So that's a component of opening it up. But as far as like introducing new lifestyles to it, right. I feel like, you know, it's gotta be, I don't want to say more extreme, but it has to be more diverse. Yeah. Right. It's like, and that's what I'm really kind of looking for. It's like, you know, again, great dudes. And I'm probably part of this as well. You know, like we look the same, act the same. And so it's like, we don't feel like we're any different from like the hunting like group. Right. But then you have people maybe like a Donnie Wilson, right. Yeah. Who doesn't look the same, doesn't act the same. And he's kind of like the extreme sports version of hunting to a degree. Right. He's like, I'm not really going to wear much camo, if any at all. Yeah. I'm going to go with like some drab colors and solids of like wool or whatever. And then I'm going to go do a sheep hunt. Yeah. And I'm going to get after it, you know, and that's different. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you find more guys like that or like a Shane Dorian or like, you know, Jeff Raleigh, who's like a legendary skate skateboarder, right? Who's big into hunting and say, here are some examples of yeah. guys that are like big in these different areas, yep. right? And these countercultures who hunting, who for which hunting is a very important part of their lifestyle. Yeah. That they figured out a way to kind of marry those two together. And how do you help create them as like icons yep. to put younger people, to put in front of younger people to say, hey, this guy's a big wave surfer. Yeah. I live in California and surf. I'd love to try hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how do you, like it's trying to create that opportunity, yep. right? And those kind of optics and visuals, um, you know? And so I think that that to me, I think is going to be something important as we kind of go forward and figure out what this hunting thing looks like, because we can't fish from the same dry pond you yeah. know I mean? and, and, and grow and grow numbers. And it's not just going to be solved by, access no you know opening up more access it's not going to be solved by like the normal forms of recruitment you know and not you know look qdma is doing a great job bha is doing a great job everyone's doing their part to try to do it but i feel like if we're looking at it as a marketing problem because that's really what it is if you look at it it's like it's a business problem we're trying to solve right we're if you look at hunting as a business and it's we have a a base of x that 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 the number is dwindling right yeah we have to figure out if you're a business and that product is starting to, to is going on the decline. Yeah. You either need to create a new product, right? A secondary product, right? Yeah. Which you can't create a new hunting product necessarily, or you have to find out how can we now position this product into a new market and expand the market. Yep. You know, and that I think is where hunting is at. It's like, what are the other markets that we've not tapped and yeah. how do we tap them? What's, what's the strategic move to make that happen? Yeah. You know, and, to me, it just is fundamentally a business problem if you tear it down to its core. Yep. Um, and that's kind of how, and I'm not saying that we just go out and like market the crap out of ourselves to yeah. like all these countercultures because it's got to be genuine. Yeah. Um, and so you have to have some leaders in different positions to do yep. that um, to kind of hang the hunting hat on, yeah. so to speak. But it means you have to start to show up and look like, sound like, um, and appreciate these different diverse kind of backgrounds yeah. of people's interests, like likings and lifestyles and say, Hey, you're into snorkeling. Yeah. Hunting's into snorkeling. Yeah. You know what Spear I mean? Or, yeah. We can be part of that, you yeah. know, and, and we can, there's, there's people like you that do this or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just something like recently I've kind of gotten 
a little bit more passionate about. Because... Yeah, and it, I think it's going to develop the more time you spend on it. Mm-hmm. And I think authenticity and teachability is going to be huge mm-hmm. for us to say, like, all right, what if this means I have to sacrifice something else? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a hunting spot mm-hmm. because you want to bring somebody else into it. Yep. You know, in my head, I kind of have some spots that I would never take anybody. Right. But what if sacrificing that means the furthering and the education of somebody else? Right. Or what if somebody, you know, whatever, it's a media type to say, like, let's do some sort of media focus on blank, and that's going to involve me giving up something that I hold personal. Right. Am I willing to do that to further... um, this idea of involving hunting into other areas right. of the well, world. Well, how much more special does that thing become when it's able to have a larger impact too? Exactly. Right. You know what I yep. mean? So where it's like, for me, it's like, I hold this really close cause it's special to me, but like, it's almost like a legacy. Yep. Right. It's, you can't build a legacy by being a, a protectionist, right? Like, it's like yep. you build a legacy by being a person who kind of opens up their boundaries and says, look, I just want to be here to be a resource. Yeah. You know what I mean? And use me as you, you know, as you will, or as you, yep. as you would like, or however I can help. Right. It's like, that's how you then start to create a legacy as a person yeah. right, or as a company or, or whatever. So I think that you're right. I think looking at it as, I think everyone looking at the resources that they have and, yep. and saying like, is there a way that I can make a difference in, in that yeah. regard? And we're getting off topic a little bit, but, but I think legacy has a huge, as soon as you said that, I'm like, that's exactly what, why I hunt is like, you could ask people, what's the type of legacy you would like to leave from your hunting? Mm-hmm. career or time or whatever is it you want to be able to die and say i've killed 30 boon and crockett deer is that your legacy if so it's going to make you a certain type of hunter right or are you going to say no that's wrong that's no. awesome yeah you know i've killed 82 by the way just if you don't care no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um but uh i really have not don't right. I, if anyone thought that was true it was a lie yeah. um but it, or is your legacy like i want you know when i'm stop hunting i want to look back and see my two kids bringing their kids into hunting is that Mm -hmm. a legacy i want to leave or i want to have brought in 25 new hunters Mm -hmm. you know or taught a hunter safety class what's the legacy you want to leave um i was amazed when i took my hunter safety class the guy that was giving it was i don't know really old right you know 40 right yeah well yeah (laughs) no no one foot in the grave no no he was he was pretty old but he'd been doing it like for, I mean, I want to say it was like 35 years. He'd been teaching the same class. And I was like, right. that is awesome. He has left this legacy of bringing in thousands of people into the hunting community. Yep. Um, so why you hunt? What's the legacy you want to leave? You know, mm-hmm. I almost feel like there's needs to be, you know, we have the nonprofit groups like, again, all BHA, QDMA, they're doing good work, different yep. areas, right? But yep. they have similar, I shouldn't say similar goals. They they have some similar goals in terms of like access and they stuff like impactful that. Goals. Impactful goals. Impactful yeah. goals, right. Um, and they overlap at times, which is great, right? I almost feel like there needs to be some type of group whose focus is on literally kind of creating those offshoot opportunities to work into some of those counterculture lifestyles. Yeah. Right. Because I think that that's a worthwhile, because that's a legacy unto itself. Right. Yeah. I think the BHAs and the QDMAs are going to leave a legacy. They already are. Right. Because they're already yeah. creating these different opportunities for people and securing, you know, access for future generations. Like, whatever. Like they're doing all those great things. But there's a human element of it 
that I think we're that we're missing beyond just like the recruitment, which I know QDMA is doing. But I think there's other avenues of recruitment that could be had or that could be done that would create another opportunity to leave an additional legacy for a group. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I should start one. I don't know. You know. Yeah. But it, but I think I I think we often run to this trying to figure out how to say this without discrediting like the good work a lot of people are doing. But, you know, I think, I think some of these movements that we have around the nonprofit space become just like buzzwords that people use to sound relevant. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example. Like I always, I think it's funny. Like people will say, Oh man, I love that guy. You know, do you really yeah. love that guy? Yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's that, that word gets thrown around so often yeah. that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah. Right. And so anyone who wants to be considered on the in the know or in the club, it's like, you know, talking about access or whatever. It's these buzzwords yeah. you hear people use. But are you actually going out and doing anything to affect that? Yeah. You know what I mean? If you are great, if not, I'm not condemning you necessarily. Yeah. I would just think about am I doing as much as I can for the things that yeah. I, I believe in? Right. But wouldn't it be cool if we created another one? Yeah. Which was, you know, how do we fit in? How do we get these people who may feel like they don't belong yeah. and help them feel like they do belong. And actually this is just like the place they should be. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that that's another important thing, but it's not, it's not sexy and, and yeah. no one's, you know, no one's created like a, a magazine ad or wrote an article about it yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it doesn't get as much fanfare. Yeah, no, it's huge. But all right, well, we've been talking for a little over an hour here. You got some, some work to finish up. Yep. I've got to go to the, to the life, the, the soul sucking <laughs> place sorry, of, man, of the DMV uh, to get my driver's license picture uh, taken for my expiring license, uh, which that place is quite possibly the worst place on the planet, the DMV. Especially the one here in our little town. It's Dude, I couldn't believe how many people were lined up this morning. Like right. I got there like before the place opened, there was already a line around the building. Yeah. Sometimes I just drive by to look and laugh at people. Ah, well, you'll be laughing at me soon because I'm gonna head. I'm gonna head over. There. I'm hoping now that like it's lunchish time. I'm hoping like most of the morning rush is gone. Literally, we chain had to change our addresses. My wife's like, "I'm gonna go to the DMV." I was like, "Okay, pack a, pack a lunch and whatever." Bag. She comes back like 15 minutes later. I was like, "Oh, it's too busy." She goes, "No, I'm done." That happened to my I'm sister-in-law. Like, she are was... you serious? So then I go like three days later. It takes me four hours, and I'm like. God doesn't love me. Right. I have to sit. I must have done something wrong. I had to sit in the DMV for four <laughs> hours and think about my life. You know, it's like yeah. time out for adults. My sister-in-law was traveling to, I forget where she was going, maybe South Africa. Actually, no, I think she was going to Germany this time, but she stopped into Philly first and she had to get like a new photo ID or whatever for something. Okay. And so she went to this one and she was literally in and out in five minutes. And my wife told me today, she was like, actually, she's like, you're probably better off going later in the day. The morning rush will hit. And then no one will be there in the afternoon. That's probably when you want to go. So that's what we're going to try. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Wilson for joining. Be sure to give him a follow on the old Instagram at Wilson.McSwain. Of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. It would be super rad if you could do those two things for us. Before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wing. And until next time, 
We'll see y'all. November's on my heels. Makes me proud. Makes me steal. I could show you through the door. gang the new truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on youtube below any of the truth from the stand videos i've got some new hats beanies t-shirts long sleeve t-shirts and sweatshirts there's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity so head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code truth t-r-u-t-h and save yourself some cash on the new gear